We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're at chapter 5. Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, written by a guy by the name of Solomon. The, <clears throat> next to Jesus Christ, he's the wisest person that's ever walked on this planet. Uh, incredibly wealthy, um, incredibly wise. Uh, we believe that Solomon, early in his life, wrote the book of Song of Solomon, which talks about beauty and love and, 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 and all that's involved with that. We believe that in the middle of his life, he wrote the book of uh, many of the... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no. What? Put it down. Okay, we've got new software, new microphone. We're, we're learning. Is that better? All right. Um, we believe that in, the, in uh, the middle of his life, he wrote the book of, uh, of Proverbs, which is about practical living. And then as he came to the end of his life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, about the meaning of life. And Solomon approaches the idea of, let's look at life on this planet. Now, let's not talk about the God thing. Let's just look at life on this earth and what it looks like. And so often you see the phrase, under the sun. And he's, he's walked us through a number of things to learn so far. He's talked in chapter 1 about the idea that, that life's kind of like a treadmill. Um, you know, you get on a treadmill, and you walk and you run, and you jog and you walk and you run, and you, you, you do all those things for however long you time it to do. And um, it accomplishes some great things for your body. But at the end of the time, when you turn the machine off and you step off of it, you are in the exact same place as when you stepped on it. Um, and life is sometimes like that. It just feels like this, this boom, 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 and you're not getting anywhere. And he talks about that in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he talks about the idea of, of be careful about, not, about making your life about things or, peop- or possessions because they're, they're fleeting. In chapter 3, he talks about the idea that life... Life is, is varied. It has all of these elements, all of these ingredients in it that, that compose of this thing that we call life. And then last week we started with the idea of some of the whatabouts that he, he struggles with, about oppression and, and some of the issues that come with, uh, with, with struggling with life. This morning, Solomon's going to talk about some attitudes that we need to have when it comes to this thing that we call life under the sun here. And he's going to deal with some, some things that, that, for some of you, might be uncomfortable, uh, but you'll get over it, all right? Uh, and, and, and it's something for all of us to learn. So let's start in chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, here's what Solomon says. He says, Guard your step when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice, as fools do, for they're ignorant and they do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you're on earth, so let your words be few. For dreams result from much work, and a fool's voice from many words. One of the first things that Solomon talks about is, he said, look, he said, let's talk about worship for a minute. Now again, in Solomon's time, there was Solomon's temple. It was this great, massive, impressive temple that, that people went to. And Solomon says, look, let's talk about this for a second. He said, Guard, guard your steps. In other words, it's interesting that he talks about the idea that your steps are pointed to go to worship. And Solomon says, look, when you go to worship, he said, take it, take it seriously. In other words, go in there and notice what he said. He said, go in obedience. In other words, Solomon said, look, when, when you come to church, and again, we're going to make the parallel to church. When you come to church, when you come to worship, it's really important that you come with an attitude of obedience. In other words, it's not about the experience. It's not about, you know, did you like the music? Did you like the sport coat the pastor wore? 
Did you like this? He said, that's not what it's about. He said, what it's about is, it's about obedience. It's about, God, I'm coming to open my heart for you to teach me something, for you to, to have something that I can obey and change and do this week. And Solomon lays us out that, you know, that needs to be our attitude when we walk in here. And he gives us some great parameters, by the way. He said, look, be careful about the whole talking thing when you get here. In other words, what he's saying is, think before you speak. Think before you speak. Because what happens a lot of times in church is, it's kind of like, okay, and let me give you some practical examples of it. Somebody comes in and they've had a tough week. Or, I see this a lot, somebody passes away. Okay? And you come to church and you see them, and it's maybe the first time you've seen them, and you, you, you know that you should say something, and you don't know what to say, so you say the first thing that comes into your head, which can really be stupid, and so you walk up to them and you go, heaven must have needed them more than you. And that sounds good, unless you're the person that lost somebody. Because you're thinking, if it's you who've lost somebody, no, I needed them more than heaven. Heaven's going to have them for eternity. I just wanted them for like another 10, 15 years. And, and, and what happened, and what Solomon's saying is, look, when you come into the house of worship, when you come into this place, you need to think about what you're going to say. And if you don't know what to say, then be quiet. Sometimes all you got to do is come up to somebody and put, put, an, put an arm around them or put a hand on their shoulder, and that speaks volumes. Sometimes all you got to do is say, you know what, I've been thinking about you all week. You know what, I've been praying for you. But sometimes we, in Christianity, we, we don't think about, you know, or, or here's the thing. Boy, I'm going to get really, okay, I, I just got to go there because this is where we are. Do you really care about what the person is wearing and whether or not you think it should be different? You know, well, you know, I just don't think that color looks good on you. I know what I'm thinking right now. And I am going to keep my mouth shut because that's the wise thing to do because what I'm thinking and what I want to say, you would be highly offended at. Come on, we've got to stop and think about what we're, what we're saying to one another. Okay? And, and, and that's what he said. He said, look, when you come into the place of worship, he said, he said you, you, you guard your feet. You guard your speech. You think about what you're going to say. You come in with an attitude of obedience. It is not about the experience for you. And this is one of the problems with modern worship. Modern worship has become about the experience. So we walk out of modern worship, a lot of modern worship stuff. And again, I'm not against modern worship stuff. I don't have a problem with worship teams. I don't have a problem with praise bands. I don't have a problem with music. I don't have a problem with fancy slides. I don't have a problem with any of that, as long as... It's about worship and not the performance. 
that, that's where it becomes a problem for me. When I walk away going, you know, oh, that was like the coolest thing in the world. Did you see, did you see how that person was dressed? That was like a really cool shirt. Because you see, worship is about me and my relationship to God and getting me to think and focus on God, not on the experience or the performance or the whatever. It's about obedience. It's about learning and applying and changing. And so that's what he says. Then uh, Solomon goes on. He kind of takes us a, a, a step further. Um, and notice what he said in the next passage. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you have vowed. Better that you do not vow than you vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth bring guilt on you. Don't say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility. So also many words. So fear God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you need to take God seriously. Solomon's standing back and he's going, look, if you're going to walk on this planet here, you better take God seriously. Because God takes what you say seriously. And this is a warning to all of it. You know what? Let me tell you something. You better be very careful when you use the word. I swear to God. Because you may be using it as a cute little phrase, but the God who sits on the throne of heaven takes that incredibly seriously. Oh, I swear to you on a stack of Bibles. You better... Solomon says you'd be better to keep your mouth shut than to say that. Because if you say that, God's going to hold you to that. And he says you need to take God seriously because... God takes that kind of stuff that we say very, very seriously. And it's kind of a warning. Solomon goes, be careful there. Because you know what? If you're, you're, you're going to swear to God on something, you're going to make a vow. God himself is going to take that incredibly seriously. So be careful there. Because God looks at that in, in, in a very serious way. And that's what Solomon lays out for us. He says, look, you, you be really careful about that. Then, then he has something to say. And you, you, some of you are going to be really uncomfortable with we're you're going to be uncomfortable for the next couple of things, so let's just get it over. Here he goes. Here he goes. Listen to what he says next. Verse 8. Uh, he says, there we go. If you see the oppression of the poor and the perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. Here's what he says. He said, look. When you look at government and you watch this guy protect this guy to do it for this guy, get over it. That's the way it is. Don't let that mess up your life. That's what he's saying. Solomon said, look, it's just the way it is. Government is going to be government and everybody's going to cover everybody's back and everybody's in it for themselves and it's not going to be about you. And it's going to get you frustrated, and it's going to get you angry, and it's going to get you all that stuff. Solomon says, look, don't waste your time getting all bent out of shape over that stuff. He said, that's the way it is. And ultimately, here's what he's going to argue. Here's what he kind of argues. You've got to go into the Hebrew and all this. But here's ultimately what he argues. You know what? As bad as it is, it's better than anarchy. It's better than just everybody doing everything for themselves. 
with no government and no rule and no anything over top of you. And Solomon says, look, you can lose sleep over this, but I ain't going to change anything. And, you know, this is what I see. I mean, you know, we, I mean, I woke up this morning to the news of, you know, you know, you know, justice, you know, Supreme Court justice died. What's everybody's first thought? Oh, who's going to appoint another one? How's it going to happen? When will it happen? Will it and you know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a big mess. And you know how I know that? Because every time it happens, it's a big mess. And everybody's going to say yes and fight and need to eat, and it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. And if I allow it, it will shape and change every day of my life in the next however long it takes to get a new guy in there, or girl, or whoever they put in there. Alien, I don't know. And Solomon says, look, be careful about allowing that kind of stuff to consume you. You know, I'm not saying you don't get involved in politics. I'm not saying you don't lobby for your candidates. I'm not saying you do any of that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, don't let it shape, mold, and embitter you. Because it will. If you're not careful. You know what? I get up this morning and here's the thing. I look at it. I saw it on the news. I prayed for my leaders. I'm not going to spend a lot of time fretting over it. Because you know what? The heart of the king is in the hand of God. It's God's problem. So that's how you deal with it. And then he goes on. Um, this now, Like I say, if you weren't upset before, you're going to get upset now. So here we go. Verse 10. Here's what he says. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Now, I know we don't talk a lot about money in here, but we preach expository, which means when we come to the verse, we deal with it. I don't skip it, okay? So we ain't skipping it. Here's what he says. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. And by the way, this is the richest guy in the world talking. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What, then, is a profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. We'll talk about this. Going on. Uh, and then he says, there is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun. Wealth kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture. So when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he'll go again. Naked he came, he'll take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does he gain who struggles for the wind? What is more? He eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. Solomon here talks about wealth. Now, again, this isn't a guy who didn't have wealth. And I know, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know what, look, that's easy for a wealthy person to say. Give me wealth, and I'll put, look, look, you can put this to the test throughout all of history, and everything that he's saying here is true. And in the Bible, what happens, you talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. In the Bible, Christians, we have two attitudes towards wealth. One is, there are a group of people, and by the way, those of you who are younger, you need to know, this is being very prevalent, this is being taught quite a bit in the books and things that are coming out to, uh, geared towards your generation. 
Those of you who are in the 20s and 30s, this is a popular movement. And the movement goes something like this. They believe in what we call poverty theology. Poverty theology simply says this. Jesus was a carpenter. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't own his house. He didn't own a house, and neither should you. If you have money, if you have wealth, if you have prosperity, it ought to all be given away. There is great, and this is what they'll teach you, in poverty theology, there is great um, satisfaction and growth in giving everything away. And so they measure spirituality by how little you have. So that's their focus. Um, and it's, by the way, it's very appealing to the younger generation that's out there. To baby boomers, it's like, no, 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 no. Because see, baby boomers, we tend to like the other opposite end of that theology, which is prosperity theology. Prosperity theology basically says this. God is a God in heaven who sits on a great big throne, and heaven is a place filled with incredible wealth, streets of gold and, and, and stones and, and all kinds of precious gems and everything else. And so that God wants that for you here because ultimately you're going to spend eternity in that place, so you might as well prepare for that place while you're down here. So God's plan for you is to make you incredibly wealthy, to make you incredibly, incredibly generous, to give you health, wealth, prosperity, everything. And if you don't have it, that's a measure of spiritual growth. If you don't have it, there's something wrong with your issue with how you view God. So you either need more faith or you need to, to claim this or you need to embrace these promises or whatever else. And so they teach that it's on the other end of the spectrum. Okay? We don't believe either of those. There's some truths in both of those. But we follow this principle that, that, that balances in the middle, and we'll get to that at the, end of, at the end of the message this morning. But you need to know, when God deals with wealth, Here's how God looks at it. God does not see rich, poor people. Actually, God sees four categories. God sees righteous, rich, and unrighteous, rich. Righteous, poor, and unrighteous, poor. When the Bible addresses wealth, when it addresses riches and, and, and poverty, the Bible addresses it by issues of the heart, not issues of provision. And that's important to understand. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. So in this passage, he kind of deals with, with both attitudes towards it. And he tells us some things that are true about money. And one of the things that he says in this passage is, he says, look, money's not going to satisfy. Um, I heard this for a long time, and I didn't understand it until I started doing a lot of counseling, and now I get it. You don't solve money problems with money. I don't know if you've heard that, or if you've wrestled. You go, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. All my problems will be solved with money. No, no, no. You don't, you don't solve money problems with money. That's the reason you can take somebody who's lived in poverty their whole life, they can win the lottery, and 10 years later, they're broke again. Money didn't solve their problem. See, they didn't know how to handle a little money, so they don't know how to handle a lot of money. See? So, so, so the thing is, so if you're looking at it thinking money will satisfy, money's not going to satisfy. And, and that's what Solomon said. This is a guy who's had it all. This is a guy who basically threw away silver because... He had too much of it. He, didn't even, he had so much silver, they didn't even count it. It's like, you know, we can't, you know it's, like, it's like us and, you know, it's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you have that much of, but, you know, you have something that you have so much of that you don't even count it. You don't even pay attention to it. So that's the world he lived in. And he goes, hey, look, if you think that's going to satisfy, it's not going to satisfy. And then he said, more money? You need to understand this. This is a great principle for you to embrace. Get a hold of it. It's a, it's a, it's a universal truth. More money equals more problems. Okay? You get that, right? Let, let me explain it to you. 
Okay? More money equals more problem. In this passage, Solomon talks about this idea, and basically what he's saying is this. You know, he said, I got more. He said, I had money. I didn't know what to do with it, so I bought stuff. Now, here's the problem. I don't have time to take care of stuff, so what do I do? I hire somebody to take care of my stuff. So I hire somebody to take care of that, and now here's the problem. Now I've got to feed that person, and now I've got to take care of them. And then I got more stuff, so what did I have to do? I had to get more stuff. Let me illustrate it, okay? When I got to my house, the first building we put up was my, my shed, okay? 30 by 45. If I had not done it then, it never would have happened. Then over the course of time, I needed a tractor. Well, now I've got to have a place for the tractor. Well, you go, the tractor should go in the shed. No, no, the shed's full of all the other stuff. So I built a lean-to. So I got a lean-to on the shed. And then I ended up with two kids who ended up with cars and vehicles. Well, we didn't want to leave those outside. So then we went to, and by, oh, oh, then we had a garage. And then we had our cars in the garage, and they wanted to play a place for their extra cars. So now we have a hope building. So I have a garage, I have a shed with a lean-to and a hope building. And now I'm sitting there going, you know what? Rather than replace the fabric on the hoop building every couple of years, maybe I ought to just add on to the shed again. Or I can look at my kids and say, store your own stuff. You know? Um, why, but, but why more money equals more problem. It just snowballs that way. And Solomon's saying, look, understand that. The more stuff you have, you know, I, I, there's an article I left at my office. There's an article in... Um, New, uh, Time or Bloomberg News this week, and it talked about, you want to know the, one of the hottest businesses right now in big cities? Storage units, but here's the new thing. Storage units on an app that deliver crates that they can come, you can drop them off, you pack them in, particularly if you have apartments, because they're finding people don't have enough room in their apartment stuff. They will drop off the crate, you can put all your stuff in a crate, you can seal it up, they'll pick up the crate, they will store it from you, and with an app, they will re-deliver that crate within 24 hours to you. So that you can get your stuff out, and this is becoming like this crazy business. There's all kinds of little pop-ups doing this now. Because people don't know what to do to keep track of all of their stuff. And that's all Solomon's saying. He said, look, you've got to understand, that's just what comes with it. And then he goes on, and he said, in fact, he said, it causes you to work harder to take care of your stuff. And then he uses this great illustration here. He said, he talks about a guy who, he's got a bunch of stuff, and then he loses it, and then he has a son. And he worries about how he's going to take care of his son. So, so follow this thinking now, because this is the illustration Solomon uses. I've got, I've got my wealth, I've got my money, I've got my stuff. Market goes south, everything goes down, lose my job, da-da-da-da. My kid comes along, where's my focus now? How am I going to take care of my kid? Time out. What should the focus be on? I have a kid. And that's what Solomon says. What happens is, when you start getting comfortable with what you have, and you place your confidence and trust in that, then you can't even enjoy the things that you should be placing your enjoyment in because you're too focused on this to take care of this to do this. And then he says, and guess what? The worker, the guy who's working for you, he's sleeping like a baby. 
Because he's been out shoveling stuff all day long, and at the end of the day, he knows that he's going to wake up tomorrow, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to shovel stuff again all day. So the whole total sum of his life is, I'm going to shovel stuff today, I'm going to go to bed at night, I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to shovel more stuff. And he's sleeping like a baby, and the owner is figuring out how he's going to keep paying everybody. And he's a guy that's losing sleep, night after night after night after night. You know, I have people say, you know, oh, you know, I can't wait to be, you know, self-employed or I can't wait to be at the top of the, you know, where, 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 you know, I'm, I own the company and everybody works for me. The only people who say that are people who don't own the company or have never been self-employed. Because the people who are realize all the stuff that comes with that. That's not the rosy picture that you think it is. I always tell my kids, you know, when they start talking about job career things and everything. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, and the reason for that is there's more manure fertilizing that field. So jump the fence carefully. You know? And we forget that sometimes, and that's all Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, you've got to understand, the more, he said, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get in this incredibly vicious cycle, and then he said, you know, what happens is you've got to realize you start to trust in your money and your security and your retirement and your IRA and not in God. And Solomon says, look, time out, reminder. They don't sell hearses with hitches for a reason. You've never seen a U-Haul pulled behind a hearse I was just say, you guys putting hitches on, you know. I'm going to say, Gail, you're putting hitches on hearses over there? Uh, no, I, you don't take U-Hauls to the cemetery. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Because you're not taking it with you. You came into this world buck naked, and you're leaving with everything that you came into this world with, which is zero. Solomon said, don't forget that. It's not going with you. And we forget that sometimes. We forget this concept that, you know what, we aren't taking it with it. It's all staying here for somebody else to enjoy. Or, in some cases, somebody else to throw away. Somebody else has got to throw it away. Um, and that becomes a, a, an issue. And so Solomon says, look, you've got to understand that. See, look, here's our problem. We look at, some of you look at money as a bad thing. Some of you look at money as a good thing. So it, it, Money's just simply a tool. It's a resource. Let me illustrate it for you so you can remember this. You know what this is? It's a three-pound sledgehammer. This is, this is a sledgehammer I got out of my, my shop last night, grabbed it. What if I gave this to a five-year-old today and say, here? You can have this all day long. I, I, you know what? I'm not a brain. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fortune teller. But I can probably guarantee you something's going to get broken. There's going to be a hole somewhere that's not supposed to. What if I put this in the hand of a sculptor or a stonemason? See, it's not the sledgehammer that's the problem. It's how it's used. It's how the person who has use of it takes responsibility of it. A five-year-old doesn't have the skill set to know how to use this properly. I can't expect them to. So I'm going to expect from them that there's going to be a lot of busted up stuff. If I put it in the hands of a sculptor or a stonemason, 
He's going to know how to use it. He's going to know when to use this, when to use the little hammer, when to use the big one, when he, how, to, how to use this. What to, he's going to know all of that. Money is simply a tool that God gives you. And you can use it like a five-year-old and be abusive with it and selfish and, and, and destructive with it. Or you can use it in a creative, productive, responsible way. It's not the tool. It's what you do with it. And what's crazy is, you know what? We're in a culture with, you know what we do? We walk around going, look at my sledgehammer. My sledgehammer is better than your sledgehammer. In fact, I want you to know, I have more sledgehammers than you do. And you know what? You probably got one of those cheap wood ones. Mine's heavy-duty plastic. How crazy is that? And that's what Solomon's saying. You don't put your confidence or your trust or your focus in this. It's a tool. It's a tool. That's all it is. Use it wisely. Don't use it foolishly. Don't waste it. You know, treat it, treat it right. Take care of it. But don't be, don't be foolish or silly with it. Don't be destructive. Do, 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 use it in a, in, a, in a helpful way. And then he goes on and he, ra- and he wraps it up this way. He kind of ends this whole section and and gives us some ideas about life and here's what he said he said here's what i've seen to be good it's appropriate to eat drink and experience good in the labor all that one does under the sun during the few days of his life god has given him because that's his reward god has also given him riches and wealth to every man and he's allowed him to enjoy them take his reward and rejoice in his labor it's a gift of god for he does not often consider the days of his life because god keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart Solomon says, let me tell you something. On all of this stuff, you know what you do? He said, you need to take a step back at life under the sun here. You need to appreciate what you have. You don't need to feel guilty for it. You don't need to beat yourself up over it. If God has blessed you and God has done and God has blessed all of us, everything that we have is from him. It is a gift. It is a resource. It is a tool. The friends that we have, the relationships that we have, the family that we have, the health that we have, all of this, it's a gift. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And sometimes what happens is, kind of like we're talking about in Sunday school, we focus more on the provision than on the provider. And Solomon says, if you really want to enjoy this life, you need to step back and realize everything you've got is a gift from God. You didn't deserve any of it. You didn't earn any of it. It's a gift. So a couple takeaways from, this, from it this morning. First one, as we come into the house of God this morning, what's, what, what are we going to do with what we hear? It's about obedience. It's about God speaking to our heart. And God speaks to everybody differently. Over the years, here's what I learned. People come up and go, they'll go, you know... God really spoke to my heart when you said this. And I, I sit back on my head and I go, I don't ever remember saying that. And some of it's my memory, but some of it is, you could go back and listen to the, 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 the digital version of it, and it didn't say that. Because that's what God said to your heart. That was God speaking to you. Be obedient with that. That's the great thing, is I can preach to all, all these different people and everybody has something different they take away from it because God is at work speaking to your heart. So be obedient with it. Okay? That's an incredible gift that God is working that way in your life and mine. So, so, so be obedient with it. And i got to say it just because of our culture. Some of you, yeah, look, 
this politic thing, man, it's affecting your relationship with God in a negative way. So you tell me what you should do with anything in your life that affects your relationship with God in a negative way. You have to take that item and make it affect your life in a positive way. So if I have something, if I have a friendship that's affecting my life in a negative way, I change some things that we're doing in that friendship. I change my attitude, I change my approach, I change the thing. And that's what some of you need to do. And the sad thing is, what Satan has done is Satan has knows that that's like your hot button. And we all have hot buttons, we all have hot issues. And Satan has started to use that to affect how you look at your relationship with God. And at that point, you've got to step back and go, whoa, whoa, Because Solomon says, look, it's, look, it is going to, the government thing is always good. He wrote this, by the way, almost 3,000 years ago and said it was a mess then. And by the way, he's the king. He's going, this thing's crazy. I'm not losing sleep over this. And, and we let it do that. Don't let it do that to you. Don't let it do that to you. You know? And, 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 and be careful here. And, and, and the last thing, and he talks about this, is look, look, don't, don't let the money thing get you hung up. Don't put your confidence in it. Don't put your trust in it. Don't, don't get all bent out of shape about it. Um, and, and I'm preaching to me, too, on this, okay? Don't, don't think this is not just for, you know, this is, this is something we're, we're hashing through as a, as a church and stuff like that. It's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to fall into that to be the, the, the focus on it. And what Solomon is saying here is, look, be careful here. And we talk about this in Sunday school. Okay, do you realize that if you make $45,000 a year or more, okay, $45,000 a year more. You and your spouse or you and whoever's in your family, you make $45,000 a year. Do you understand that in the total economy of the world, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world? You're the top 1%. You're the one percenters. Go, no, no, I know what the one percenters are, and I'm not one of them. No, 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 you are. 99% of the world, last count over 6 billion people, Live less than you do. Now, I'm not saying that for you to feel guilty. I'm not saying that for you to feel... That's what God has given you. For whatever reason, God allowed you to be born in this country. God allowed you to make that kind of money. God blessed you in that way. Here's what Solomon's saying. Don't get hung up on that. That is a gift from Almighty God. Be a good steward of it. Use and do what God has enabled you to do. But I personally think it's egotistical for us to sit and then look at God and say, God, give me more. What I have is not enough. I want more. God gives you more, great. But for us to be discontent with what God's given us, is that not arrogance? I mean, is that not kind of silly? Because, again, 99% of the world would trade places with us in a heartbeat. And yet, sometimes we look at our world and go, it's not enough. I've got to have more. I gotta have. And Solomon goes, look, 
If you're putting your confidence and trust in getting more, it's not going to satisfy. It's just going to create more problems. It's just going to do, 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 do. You need to learn to put your confidence and trust in God who provides, not in the provision. That's all he's saying. And I think sometimes we lose that. And I want to challenge you to sit back and take a look at what you've been given. You don't need to feel guilty for it. It's not what this is about. But to understand how incredibly blessed we have all been. And how much we've been. Because let me tell you something. It would have taken nothing in the mind of God for him to allow us to be born in one of those 99% of the other places in the world. We would never be able to live at the lifestyle or experience that we have. But for some reason, he chose us and he allowed us to be born here. And to have the job that we have, to have the home that we have, and the car, and the family, and the, all the stuff, you know, for some crazy reason, he's allowed me to build a hoop building. For a car, we drive six months out of the year. I don't feel guilty about that. I'm not going to beat myself up over it, but, he, but come on. And then I want to go, it's not enough, I want more? Does that make any sense? We've been given a lot, folks. We just need to be a little more grateful. We need to be a lot more grateful for what we've been given. And yeah, I know, you've got to have money to pay bills. I get that. <clears throat> we've been given a lot. A lot. Let's be good stewards of it. Let's honor God with the way we live our lives. And let's be grateful. And uh, let him use it. Let him work in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us. Because, Lord, it's so easy sometimes for us to get all bent out of shape over stuff. And, Lord, we're reminded this idea that, Lord, we've got to keep our focus on you. We've got to take you seriously. So help us to do that. Lord, it's easy for us to to, to shift our focus from, from you to what we have. So, so Lord, don't, 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 don't let us do that. Help us to keep our focus on you. And, Lord, may we find satisfaction and joy in you. And uh, take our eyes a little less off of the stuff. And Lord, when it's all said and done and we step back and we look back on our life this week, may we be able to say that we have enjoyed our life because of you, not because of our stuff. These things we ask in your name. Amen.